morning, I'm Gaylord, and I oversee the care and prayer areas here at BlackRock. Last Tuesday, through the gracious generosity of friends, Sharon and I checked off our bucket list, a long-time dream, of sitting in Arthur Ashe Stadium at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. One of the matches we viewed featured the number one seeded U.S. men's player, six foot, ten inch John Isner, famous for playing in the longest professional match on record at 11 hours, five minutes, start to finish, and also known for the force and velocity of his serves. At one point in the match, Isner reared back and delivered an incredible rocket clocked at 140 miles an hour. Now, imagine if you're on the other side of the net as that small yellow ball is traveling at that rate of speed, headed right for your body. If it were me, I would just fall and jump out of the way as fast as I could. Failing to appreciate the power of Isner's game... Sharon, my bride of 40 years, took the opportunity to turn in my direction and make one of those totally random comments. Well, I remember when you weighed 140 pounds. (laughs) But that day is long gone, isn't it? Then to add to, to the hurt... Maybe I'll catch a glimpse of that slim, trim man I married when you put on your new body in heaven, but probably not before. (laughs) Now, cruel and heartless as it was, there's some truth in Sharon's teasing. Just as she's living in between the memory of that chiseled, spelt man she married so many years ago, and the Pillsbury doughboy I've become. So each Christ follower lives in the tension of the in-between age measured by Jesus' first entrance into this world and His return. The Bible has a great deal to say about this period that is sandwiched between Jesus' first and last coming. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory or reward He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. With eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. 
We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. In this narrative and others in the Bible, the in-between era in which we live is portrayed as a time when we only get to see the partial fulfillment of God's plan for you, for me, and for His world. Here's what we know. Jesus has come forth victoriously from the grave. He's defeated death and hell. We've been adopted into God's forever family through our faith in what Jesus accomplished. And every one of us who calls Jesus Lord is in the process right now of growing into His very nature. Yet it's painfully clear that God hasn't made everything right, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. We live daily with broken relationships, corruption of all kind, injustice, physiological and psychological pain, and the list just goes on. So we might ask, has God forgotten His promises and turned away from us? It's easy to believe so in the midst of the hardships and the heartaches of this life. However, the Bible makes it clear that you and I live in an age in between the living hope brought about by Jesus' first visit to earth and the ultimate fulfillment of that hope when He makes His second and final visit to this world. So the question demands an answer. How do we survive living in between? Here's three tools I encourage you to carry with you on the journey. Living in between means not being surprised By trouble. Try as I have, I just can't find anywhere in the Bible where God promises the person who comes into relationship with Him through Jesus a life of ease, free from the brokenness of this world. It's just not there, dear friends. Yet it's so easy to blame God when my body breaks down My finances fall apart. My relationships grow strained. Sharon abuses me. And life comes apart at the seams. Have you been there along with me? I'm sure you have. Somewhere along the way, we believe the lie that God owes those of us who follow Him prosperity, health, and success. Now, please don't misunderstand. 
serving God and serving others has great benefits in this world. Living by biblical principles brings fulfillment, joy, and peace that goes beyond our understanding. However, we should never be surprised when trouble comes our way because we live in between the promise and the reality of God's perfect plan. (coughs) Pardon me. So don't be surprised by trouble. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. I pray that life is good for you today. However, we know that in this world, trouble is just around the next turn. Jesus encourages us on our journey by urging, take heart, cheer up. I've overcome the world. Yet the overcoming to which he refers will only be fully realized when Father God turns to his son and says, enough is enough. Go back and make all things new. And that day is coming. It really is. In the meantime, from time to time, God reminds us about what He has in store by touching our bodies, healing our relationships, providing for us financially, and blessing us in a thousand other ways. But never forget, each of these is just a sip, just a little taste, only a whiff of what lies in store for us when Jesus returns. I have a Christ-following friend who lives in constant daily pain. Now, this woman loves the Lord with everything she's got. Yet every day, she awakens to the same ordeal. One awkward move, one wrong twist, and a ligament or tendon snaps. And bone pierces through her parchment-thin skin. I know that my friend has prayed for God to take her home to heaven many times. Yet every day she awakens to the same terrible ordeal. To Kate and all of you suffering today, I offer this scenario. Maybe you've never thought In these terms, imagine God weeping over the pain that this sin-drenched world exerts over every one of us, longing to give the word that it's time to end all the suffering. Then he sees that one we've been talking about for many weeks now, that one who still hasn't come to Him. And He inwardly responds, just one more day to reach that person with the good news about my Son Jesus. I have to wait just one more day before making all things new so that they too can come to me. 
Dear friends, you may have not thought in those terms, but that's the tension our God lives with every moment. While we're waiting for God to do away with all misery, the Bible reminds us that those who live in between must walk by faith, not by sight. Living in between means living by faith, not by what we can see and taste and sense and feel. 1 Corinthians 13 makes it clear that right now, all of us see everything through a cloudy, dark, imperfect mirror. One of the liabilities of living with bodies and minds that aren't built for eternity is that we don't have the capacity to clearly understand everything that's happening to us. In fact, that same chapter goes on to promise that there is a time coming when we will comprehend, understand, know all things, even as God knows us. But that time is not now. In the meantime, successful, victorious living that overcomes, rises above the evils of this world, demands that we uh, decide now, today, to believe what God says, not only what our minds and senses tell us. The Good News translation of the Bible renders Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in this way. To have faith. To really have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for and certain of the things we cannot see. Dear friends, what are you hoping for today? Chances are, if your hopes are simply wrapped up in the goals and pleasures that this world offers, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, frustration, and heartache. God calls us to recognize that this life, long as it might seem when we're living it, is just a rehearsal for the real thing to come. You know, as a young man, I actually was 140 pounds at one point. I felt invulnerable. I was going to live forever. I never thought about this life coming to an end. Now with a few more miles under the tires that include a body that doesn't look like it once did and doesn't do the things it once did, the pain of saying farewell to loved ones, and the constant strain of living in a performance-driven and oriented culture You know, heaven is looking better and better all the time. How about you? If you're struggling this morning, I urge you, I encourage you, get in touch with God's promises. Don't lose sight of faith. Take your eyes off your circumstances as challenging and difficult as they may be. And begin to retrain your mind to live by what 
you can't yet see. Listen to these life-changing words from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is why we never give up, though our bodies are wasting away. And that's true of all of us, young and old. Our spirits are being renewed or made new every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a reward that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Here's the key, dear friends. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. By the way, while you're dealing with trouble and walking by faith, remember that those who live in between are always ready. Living in between means always being ready. As a young pastor, I recall many teachings about the promise of Jesus' return and heaven. Sadly, we don't speak much about these themes anymore. Still, we can't totally ignore the Bible's declaration that Jesus really is coming back again. In fact, Titus chapter 2 verse 13 makes a clear connection between the Christ followers' hope, the hope that we carry around with us every day, and Jesus' return. We are filled with hope, it says, as we wait for the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the other hand, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 insists that if our hope in Christ, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. I believe that we've lost something by de-emphasizing this truth. You see, I've learned that the more I stay vitally connected and linked to a clear awareness that Jesus could come back before I experience physical death, before you experience physical death, the more I live each day with a renewed clarity Life just becomes very clear and urgent. Practicing what Paul stresses in Hebrews 12. Let us throw off, cast off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Since I don't know when my Lord is coming back, I need to make the most of each day by telling my loved ones how much they mean to me. Have you told your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your family members, 
how much you love them today, that's important. Living with purpose, and most of all, by sharing God's love and the good news of the gospel with as many people as possible. You know, we've just concluded a three-day prayer focus on Christ followers who are suffering and even losing their lives around the world. While we sit here in relative comfort and freedom today, Christians are giving their lives to tell others about Jesus all over this world. Over and over again this last week, as I listened to people praying, I heard this prayer. If our brothers and sisters in Christ are giving their lives to share the good news, how can we who live in relative freedom do less? Loved ones, Jesus really is coming again. And He has promised to take us home to live with Him forever. Let's take as many with us on the journey as we possibly can. Finally, living in between means we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Living in between Jesus' first and last visits to earth means not being surprised when trouble comes, walking by faith, and always living ready. But even when we live by these principles, there are just times when life can crush us, grind us to powder with its cruelty. I hope and pray that life is really good for you today. However, if that's not the case, consider this story. A missionary couple who had served all of their adult lives in Africa prepared to board a transoceanic cruise back to New York City for their final trip home to America. And it so happened that they boarded the same ship that President Theodore Teddy Roosevelt boarded with all of his entourage following one of his famous safaris in Africa. As the ship pulled in to New York Harbor, you can imagine the scene. The red carpet was rolled out. The military band played Hail to the Chief. And thousands upon thousands of well-wishers cheered the president and his company as they disembarked from the boat. In the shadows, this missionary man and wife slipped away into the broken-down tenement that would be their home for the rest of their days on earth. Their health was broken from many years of hard service. They had no retirement fund, no pension fund. Their finances were, they were almost penniless. And that night, as they tried to settle into their dirty little tenement, the husband started to complain. God isn't being fair to us. 
We've given our whole lives in service to Him. We've given our bodies, our health, our finances. We've lived away from our family. We've given Him everything. But when we docked, not a single person was there to meet us. But the president enjoyed all the accolades, all the cheers, all the celebration while we slipped away with no one to welcome us home. Being a great wife, just like my wife Sharon, she said, I think you need to go in the bedroom and pray about this and get your attitude together. So that's just what he did. He went and he started talking to God. Sometime later, he came out and his wife said, Well, did you hear anything from God? Were you able to connect with Him? And she, he said, Yes, I did. I started pouring out my resentment, my anger, my frustration to God. I complained about the President and all of the triumphant entry that he received when he docked. I told him not a single person was there to meet us. And it's just not fair. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but no one knows. And the wife said, is that all? He said, no. After I calmed down, I heard a small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, everything you've said to me is true. But let me remind you of one thing that you've forgotten. You're not home yet.